What is going on, military cash flow family? What is going on with you today, Mike? How are Man, you? Man, I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm. So uh, if you guys are actually watching this on YouTube, you might see lights flickering. You might see me just blank out. You also might hear some fire hydrants coming to save some other people. So I do apologize. But besides that, man, I'm just uh, chilling out, relaxing, maxing all cool. What you got going on, man? And I was from shooting some b-ball outside of school, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, man, um, everything's good here. I am still still clearing post right now. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I'm going to be going to grad school here soon, moving up to North Carolina here within the next couple of weeks. Well, in about a month, be moving up North Carolina here soon. Uh, so I'm really excited to kind of be on ground with all my friends up there. You know, do some hood rat stuff with my hood rat friends. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's gonna so, be intense. Yeah, we gotta so, tell we gotta tell the wife, hey, hey, he's okay. Yeah. You'll be with us about four a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so that should be pretty fun. Um, but yeah, so today's guest we have uh we, we had a great guest. Her name's Angela Smoot. Um, and she's active acquisitions officer right now and she's doing some great things and she is doing, uh, she comes on, she, she talks about, um, the venture capitalist space. So she's doing training with industry, right. Um, and we talk about that, what that looks like. And then we also talk about the venture capital company that she's working with and all the facets of venture capitalism. We also get kind of, um, kind of, uh, talk about some, some other cool things as well. Um, but I think it's a really, really good episode. You guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And, uh, I'm just excited for you guys to hear it, (laughs) Mike. Yeah. So she is going to cover the broad strokes of venture capitalism. If, if you guys aren't familiar with that whole VC space, this is going to be a great introduction to it. And then you're going to find a lot of similarities between the stuff that she's saying and things like apartment syndication or private equity. They're all very, very similar and the fact that they are to provide funds to entrepreneurs or real estate investors, right? Um, so that's going to be an amazing part. And towards the end, uh, that's when it really got exciting for me because she started to talk about some of the ways that, I mean, look, she's been in the military for over 21 years, has done amazing things and works for one of the most premier venture capitalist firm in the world. And yet she still talks about how she struggles um, trying to identify herself in that civilian space and how she overcomes those things. So, I mean, this is going to be a great episode, guys. You got to stick through it to the end. But without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby. And this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, military cash flow family? Today, we got a great guest and a new topic. So, we haven't talked about venture capitalism. And today we have on Miss Angela Smoot, and she's she's pretty much going to be the subject matter expert here, kind of giving us some of those details of, of what that looks like. So uh, Angela, thanks so much for coming on. Please let us know a little bit about yourself, who you are, and, and what you're doing in the space. Well, thank you for having me. I'm an um, active duty lieutenant colonel. I'm an um, army officer in the acquisition corps. And currently, I have the pleasure of being a, um, a fellow at Founders Fund, which is a venture capital firm out, outside of a, or in San Francisco. Um, and it's part of the acquisition or the Army's training with industry program. So I've 
spent about 21 years in the Army, started out as an engineer, construction, horizontal and vertical. Then around 2008, 2009, I switched to the Acquisition Corps. I've been deployed twice, uh, OIF 05-07 in Ramadi and OIF 08-09 in Baghdad. A lot of overseas assignments. And um, so um, pretty much a, a plethora of, of uh, experience that goes from the engineer corps to the acquisition. Um, I found that the transition from engineer to acquisition was really e not easy, but helpful in what I did as an engineer officer and how it kind of fed into things that I did as an acquisition officer. Um, decided to do training with industry, was blessed to be uh, selected um, and really wanted an opportunity as unique as being a fellow at Founders Fund just to get a peek into an industry that is very niche to everyone, you know, to say the least, you know, a black female as well. So uh, I was just really interested from um, the aspect of my major, which is business management and, and my master's in uh, public administration. That's I love this. Quite the There's, extensive background. It's, it's yeah, awesome. So, sure. so again, you know, thank you so much for coming on, letting us know a little bit about uh, what's going on. Um, one thing I did want to note is uh, the transition. So I know that there's a lot of uh, service members listening, right? That transition um, into one of the specialty branches and, and one of those specialty branches being acquisitions, right? Can, can you let us know a little bit about what the actual acquisition officer does? Because sometimes it's kind of like a mystery, right? So what, what do those guys do over there in the, in the, in the secret squirrel land of acquisitions? Well, yes, secret squirrel indeed, but not really. Uh, it's a part of all processes uh, that it are going to touch soldiers. Um, and that's something that when you come into the core, when you reflect back, you recall, oh, yeah, that's how we got that equipment. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember the ref coming out and giving us this equipment. And uh, so you kind of have those, those little like flashback moments that you didn't know what it was. And then you kind of like fast forward, you're in the acquisition core and you're like, oh, okay. But um, as an acquisition core officer, um, we go into the areas of contracting, uh, program management and testing. Um, and there's been a lot of changes over the past 10 years of, of different areas um, that we've been able to go into, but it's kind of been whittled down to like three core areas. Um, and so within contracting, we become experts in, you know, procurement and all that goes along with the procurement process that includes, you know, the market research, vetting of companies, negotiations, uh, writing the actual contract, the legal aspect of reviewing that contract. Um, so it is, you know, a very in-depth Field. I loved contracting because it was just interesting to me, but it's definitely a field where you're on the grind because if people aren't getting their stuff, they're not happy and they want it fast too. And it better do what, you know, it's supposed to do. Um, and there's so much documentation that goes along with it uh, so that when we take the 
requiring elements, you know, from start to finish of saying what they want and bringing it through. I mean, everybody's just like, whoa, brain smoking. Um, and then for program management, that's more when you're, you're managing projects and a portfolios of um, different major weapon systems like the tanks um, or different aircrafts and such textiles, such as uniforms, and you're really kind of managing more like the strategic oversight of the project or the programs at hand. Um, so now you're kind of dealing with the really deep analysis of, do we need this new thing? Is there a thing that's out there that we can adjust? You know, what is the cost, you know, buy or lease benefit? You know, things like that that you just can't go out buying whatever you want. And so when you work in program management, you're kind of assessing that bigger picture of and strategic picture of what it what does, you know, our warfighters need. And I love that because, you know, we talk all the time about how the military skill set transfers over to the civilian world time and time again. And a lot of people are concerned with, you know, how what kind of jobs will I have the similarities with? Everything that you just discussed are what every single company in the world requires. They need, they need people who can actually lead projects and programs. They need people who can do procurement and contract reviews. So, uh, you know, just for the audience guys, members out there, especially the officers who are thinking, oh, I might go into this specialty field or this specialty field, you know, sometimes keep that in mind of some of those skill sets that transfer over um, that could just literally walk you right into there. So I actually have two questions for you. So what, this one, you know, kind of, kind of briefly, just a glaring like overview, what are some of the major similarities that you actually saw between the engineering core and the acquisitions core? Uh, so um, engineers handle projects. So that right, that right there, one is a construction project, you're dealing with infrastructure and a lot of assessment and, and analysis. Um, and so then that definitely transfers to program management um, as the engineers. Um, not so much as the, the field itself, but I was uh, the battalion S4. And so we had, I, I was in charge of the field ordering operations, uh, credit card purchases. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, within my field, um, I was handling that, which also transferred to the ideal of fiduciary responsibilities and um, managing money uh, and, and uh, credibility of companies that you're dealing with. I love it. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense seeing it from a construction standpoint, for sure. And I'm sure almost every officer could say that there's something similar within their, within their mm -hmm. space as well. The next question I got for you, because nobody that we've had on this show has talked about this training with industry program. We've covered maybe op, uh, um, O2O and I'm onward to opportunity. We discussed uh, the internship program, skills bridge program, all that good stuff. But can you give us a brief overview of what training with industry is? And for the officers who are interested, how can they go about uh, maybe applying for it? Well, I think that a lot of branches might have their own uh, program, but for the acquisition course training with industry um, and to which the the program manager of training with industry manages about 40 different companies who say, yes, I would love to have an army officer in my office for whatever reasons to give them the exposure to, to you know, just add that breadth of understanding to defense. So there's just various reasons. But um, so the training with industry program just fits 
very well with acquisition because you want to have that diverse business acumen. And I, and I, I personally have always felt that industry knowledge is definitely very lacking and it's where we need to really build, you know, the acquisition core. Sometimes there's a lot of fear in dealing with industry, but so this opportunity gives you that. And they, they go out for training with industry once a year. Um, and uh, normally it's while you're after a captain, after your command, right in before you get promoted to major, they do lieutenant colonels as well. Um, and, uh, and they select about 25 uh, candidates that work for defense as well as uh, commercial companies. Nice. So I really like the uh, training with industry model, but so I'm a finance officer, so I'm very familiar with everything, you know, miss, but most of the things that you're, you're talking about right now, uh, as far as, as, as it relates to contracting, because we have our little piece in it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I'm familiar with training with industry. And usually when we do training with industry, uh, they usually pair us up with some kind of financial institution, right? And I would assume acquisitions would be the same way, but somehow you've gotten to venture capitalism. And, I, and I'm, I'm curious to see, or I'm curious to, to know how those two kind of intertwine. And I, I guess, did you have, did you have the, um, the option to choose that, uh, specifically venture capitalism, or did you have a plethora of different jobs or you know, um, training with industry companies to, to, cho to choose from? Yeah, so um, every year there's at least 25 slots. So that'd be 25 companies. On your preference sheet, you, if you get selected for training with industry, then on your preference sheet, then you select your top three. Um, and um, they have a lot of defense contractors. So that definitely is a direct alignment where you say, okay, yeah, I see. Now, so when I put my top three, Founders Fund was not even on the list. Maybe a month later, um, acquisitions came back and they said, hey, Founders Fund just got added to the list. Who wants to do it? I'm telling you, I responded in 30 seconds and I think the early bird got the worm. And so, um, but the, the, the tie-in for acquisitions, I know a lot of people ask me that and, and, and it isn't, you know, as direct as you're working for Boeing because we, we work with them all the time or General Dynamics and you say, oh yeah, okay. But um, so, so they, they do pitch meetings. So what that correlates to is adjudication of understanding and vetting credibility of companies. So I'm learning a lot from that aspect. Um, I'm learning a lot from the market research aspect. You know, it, it takes a lot of research when, when you prior to doing a pitch meeting, um, they call it sourcing, you know, your, your meetings. You, you got to know a little something about the sectors that you that are coming to talk to you. So um, that's the same thing we do in contracting or acquisition, a lot of market research. So now um, uh, I have a few more tools in my tool bag to understand like how to go a little bit deeper, you know, not just Google, <laughs> you know, some, <laughs> some, some quotes or something, you know, like here's what Google said, like actual, you know, platforms I can go to to take a look at the company, the health of the company. I love so it. I mean, areas. I love it because normally when you think VC, you think I think of like um, someone with 
that has a lot of like entrepreneurial spirit, right? Like you're definitely, this is, I assume that you, you approach this, not just from the, from the uh, learning standpoint that what you can do within the army and how it goes with contracting, but do you also plan at some point down the road to kind of get into this field like venture capitalism? Because I mean, you said you jumped on it right away. And I mean, it sounds like something that you're actually interested in, in doing, uh, is, am I am I kind of right in saying that, or I may disappoint you here? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, was, that was my assumption. That was my assumption. Well, I'm a business management major, so I'm I'm interested in in broadening my experience and understanding. Like, I want to know how you get that money. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's a big part of being an entrepreneur. It's how you get that money. Let me t- let me know about the money. So that's where <laughs> I was going with it, um, and just knowing that it's a very niche field and a lot of people don't understand it. So what, what better, you know, industry to go in to, to learn about it. But for me personally, this is not my jam in terms of being a venture capitalist. Um, I, I think, you know, where I'm going to go with this is just understanding the insight and being able to share with my community, such as you all, uh, like, hey, I've been, you know, to the mountain top, and here's what it looks like, you know, here's the canopy of this area, and being able to share that in the environment to know that, for people to know that there are options, mm-hmm. you can consider more things than one. Uh, I, I just think for me, you know, it's not my particular, you know, jam, but it's a wonderful field, uh, and it, very interesting. I, I know that uh, venture capitalism, private equity, investment banking at a higher level with larger corporations, such as uh, the company that you're working for, it can be very, very corporate and structured. And that's not the jam of a lot of people, right? A lot of people um, who have the ambitions of being entrepreneurs don't exactly want to you know, go suit and tie all the time and answer not, not even nine to five. It's probably a 12 hour shift on some of these things. So that, that's understandable. Yeah, well, you know, every venture capital firm is different. Uh, so for Founders Fund, we, we, we are not a, a suit and tie organization and it's wow. very centralized. Uh, there is a lot of autonomy um, in being, you know, a principal or associate. Uh, you got to source your own deals. And, and in some ways you eat what you kill. OK, so um, it's interesting. I like so. Let's dig into some of the details because I mean, I looked at the company that that you're doing the uh, training with industry with, and I mean, these guys just for just so you guys know, a couple. I'm just going to read off a couple of the uh, the companies that they, you know, early founded with like Stripe, SpaceX, Facebook, Airbnb, Spotify. Like the, the list just goes on. Compass, like the list just goes on. It's a it's a a huge company, right? So I, I know also with venture capitalism, there's kind of uh, different ways. There's people that can invest in a VC company, right? Like from a, um, from like an investor standpoint, an accredited investor standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Also, there's people that are actually seeking the money. Those, those people that have the great idea and they need money to get their, to get their, um, to get their project off the ground. But then there's also the evaluation side, which it seems like what you're doing right now and evaluating the company to see if it's actually a good fit to invest in. Can you kind of talk, talk over some of those and, and what that looks like? So just to give you a really brief overview of Founders Fund and yeah, you're on target, like they they win, they win on their selections and a part of the, 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 the main 
uh, secret sauce, if you will, is focusing on the founder, which is thus the name Founders Fund. They found that a lot of times venture capitalists, once they invested in you, they tried to fire the CEO, firing people and changing it all up, um, which a lot of times ruin a company. Um, but the, 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 the secret sauce is, you know, investing in the founder. Of course, you go and do your due diligence on the financial side of the house as well. But, you know, the founder is what's going to be key, the, that, that uh, fortitude of that founder. So that's kind of where they're at. So they were able to do things like PayPal and um, Enderil and all of these things. So, um, so, so founder, so venture capital, so... Obviously what happens in venture capital is people, individual or a company gives their money to the venture capital firm and they want them to invest it. Um, and so that's kind of what a venture capital is, is high risk company. So high, high risk, high reward. And that's what makes venture capital different from you know, some of the other types of funding. Um, and so the cycle of, of a fund, is around seven to 10 years. So just because we invested in you and it's year one, it takes a long time for them investments to really come to fruition. Uh, and so if you're looking for the immediate win, you're not in the right field. So, you know, when you talked about like what, what qualities of, of a person, like if you're just thinking short-term, BC is not for you. If you need, you know, that short-term, you're in the wrong place for your funding or even a career field because it's a little bit of a long-term game there. Um, so as an investor, they call them LPs, limited partners, where they're the ones who give you the money to say, hey, I want you to invest it. Um, and within the organization uh, of the venture capital firm, you typically have GPs, general partners, and they are the decision makers of the firm. Uh, they usually have to contribute a portion to invest in the company. Um, and then under the uh, general partners, you will have principals, which kind of like, it's kind of a tier. And then associate, associate is probably more like a new person, um, kind of just still building up their tenure. But what happens is, you know, you have a fund and at some point, probably at year four, you know, the, the company start, you, you begin to start to see four to seven if the company is making money. Once the company start making money, you can distribute it back out to the LPs. You gotta pay them their money back. Um, and the key to this all is distributing, you know, the money back at the right time. Let's just give, for example, oh, boom, we're kind of going into an economic downturn. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't like distribute before this, you're distributing at a lower cost, right? So that's kind of sad, you know, for the LPs. Uh, so it's timing and we all don't know the time, right? We, we have to really kind of monitor that. So those are kind of the things that are being considered um, when you are in a venture capital firm. You wanna pick a firm that really aligns with who you are and your intent and mission. Um, so a lot of times when I've seen people want to, uh, provide money for investment to founder fund or even to pitch founders fund is interesting because you can tell when people haven't done the research on what this company is about because you, you'll know the alignment on what they do um, and and uh, that may or may not meet your needs and it shouldn't surprise you because if you need to research 
you know, alignment. So hope I answered your question. No, that, that was, that was yeah. great. I mean, if you guys didn't catch on, there was a couple of, ter- a lot of terminology and the structure of this sounds very, 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 very familiar to syndication, which we, which we know, you know, fairly well, right? So you got the, the person that's invest or the person that's investing, the LPs that are investing money, they're pooling together their capital, right? So on the people that are controlling that is the, the GPs that's controlling what they're doing with the capital. The LPs are actually p- contributing the money. And then you have the actual deal or piece of real estate. And in this situation would be the business, right? And then um, and then you have the actual, the fund, right? Which is this venture capital fund. So there's a lot of uh, similarities between this and real estate. It's just, it's pretty much syndication just with, with businesses. It sounds... Uh, sounds uh, very, very smooth. So what we just talked about was from the from the lens essentially of the investor, the LP and the GP. What about the, uh, from the lens of the actual, uh, from the company, like evaluating the company? Okay, um, again, what you should, if you're a startup company and you are looking, you know, for, for funding, you, you really need to create a target list. And that target list needs to be comprised of um, funding, whether VC or all the the, the different levels, the traditional funding, crowdsourcing, but you kind of have to have a little target list. But when you're dealing with VCs, you you really want to really, that VC to align with your values. Um, Founders Fund is a venture capital firm that, you know, what they offer, you know, is a, a great team. Um, and that team is going to basically, if they choose to invest in you, you're not going to have to like do a lot of, you know, week or month waiting to see if you're going to get money. You, you, we are able to move quickly and make a decision, uh, deploy those funds, um, and we can provide those recommendations, but uh, they're not going to hold your hands. Um, some VC firms, they're going to like want to demand to sit on your board. Uh, they're going to want to, to kind of give you a lot of hand holding and feedback. Um, so, you know, if you're a founder who says, hey, I don't need all of that, just give me the check, cut the check, then, you know, Founders Fund might be the one. Now, also, if you are just needing $10,000, you know, it's not the one, you know, no VC really likes to write those small checks unless that's their particular, you know, mission and model. And that's why you have to understand the mission and model because some VCs focus on seed um, and some focus on um, later stage, you know, A, B, and C and on. And so you, if you're coming to Founders Fund, although Founders Fund is agnostic in the stages, um, you gotta be doing well. Uh, to to get that seed funding here. Um, so, but every VC is different and you need to research that. Um, and, and I see that uh, happen a lot. And I'm like, uh, you know, just kind of thinking you need to, to, to understand where you're at, what stage you're in and where you're at and who can provide you what you need. Yeah, that's a great point because a lot of times, even just on the, well, I'll call it the small time investor side, right? For those of us who are still just doing the one or two deals, a lot of times we don't really understand what we need. And then therefore we overstretch ourselves. 
If we just need a small loan, well, we don't need to go out and collateralize our primary home and our car and everything else. Hey, man, go to the bank. Just get an SBA mm-hmm. or something. You know, it might be okay. Um, and, and so it's always important to understand what you need. And then understand if you guys are interested in this type of venture on the LP side, like, like uh, we talked about, you have to be patient, right? Because it's not a quick turnaround. But also, if you're, if you're trying to play at this level, I'm sure the, the investment minimum is significantly higher than maybe even a hundred thousand. Like I'm, I'm sure it's pretty high, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be like at least a billion. Yeah. Uh, and and even that's kind of like a small seed, and they don't, you know, we do seed, but but it's small, and and so uh, the the problem with small when when VCs go agnostic across the stage, the problem is the smaller the check, you know. It's really not great for the backside of the the growth and returns unless you got a unicorn. Um, But there's a lot of work. So if I gave you $50,000, all the legal and all the accounting and all of the things that have to happen, that's a lot of work for that $50,000 check. Mm -hmm. So they're they're interested in multiples and and writing those checks that are going to have those multiples. Uh, So that's really important. Um, But they do seed. Um, And so that's, that's not like... They don't, but they do. Um, it's with, with a little yeah. <laughs> election. And, and I mean, that makes perfect sense because we say the same thing with syndication. Like raising 5,000 is just as much work as raising 5 million. Same mm-hmm. paperwork. So I'd rather just focus on the 5 million. So same concept there. Um, yeah. Oh, I had a Oh, what I was going to say was um, for everybody listening, if you guys want to get into seed funding as a limited investor there are smaller platforms out there like seed invest and probably a few more i can look up for you guys but as angela said research make sure that you uh understand their their model that their uh core values the types of companies they evaluate and then you're able you know if you have the ability to they will put all of the information about the performance of that company in there for you to do your own research as well. Um, so don't feel like you got to make a billion dollars just to get started, but it's the same same uh, risk supply. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group, where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our Military Cashflow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. Mm -hmm. 
so so let's let's um let's kind of walk the dog here right so for those of those of their those out there listening right um likely we either have a great idea and we want to you know we have a multi-million dollar idea obviously we understand you know i got the next facebook that's what i got in my head the next facebook idea right um what does that look like and how would i go about doing that kind of like nuts to bolts you know just kind of kind of uh once around the world if you will like just kind of a chart it out if you will okay so startup comes and they say they have the next new facebook and that's great we want to hear about it okay <laughs> now your job as the founder is to tell that founder's story why did you even think of that in the first place like what motivated you about wanting to create you know a new facebook which gets to the 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 ideal of what's the problem or the opportunity that your your problem you're trying to solve or the opportunity that you're trying to present um so that's a, a huge key um and then we got to understand like market position so I, we're just going with the facebook right so everybody's using facebook so okay explain to me the market position that you're gonna be trying to capture and how you're gonna convert people from off of Facebook onto your platform. So that's key. Like, if you're not able to kind of like get that up in there, like, especially when you're talking about a Titan like Facebook, that's gonna be problematic is, is knowing that because you gotta show that you can scale, um, that you have position in the market and, and exponential growth. How are you gonna do that? That's a key part of, of, the, of the understanding and the adjudication on if this is something to invest in. That market position um, is, really, is really key. You know, are people going to really adopt it? Do, do you have any traction? Do you have any users? Do you have any contracts? Do you have, you know, what, what is it that you have that that shows that someone is interested and willing to adopt and willing to convert. Um, so I, I think that part is really key. And, and then, okay, so you have the Facebook, you know, 3.0. So what's the differentiation? What's the value proposition that you are offering? Um, and that's kind of like that particular part, the market value proposition. I kind of like put that all together. That's really key. Like if you're going against a Titan like Facebook or you want to say, oh, you're going to create a phone better than Apple or, you know, like you're going to have to really have uh, some explaining to do. I got to have my shark, my shark tank pitch, right? I got to put my seat and tie on and get on with the theatrics, right? And I'm pretty much sitting on the board, I guess, with with the company, the founder's company. I'm telling all these guys, you know, give my shark pitch, uh, my shark tank pitch, right? Is, is that kind of <laughs> got to know the numbers and everything, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, um, and every venture capital firm is different. Some people are going to be more analytical and into the numbers. What you say might be going right over their head. They'd be looking at the numbers while you're talking. Uh, and some people, um, founders fund, they're interested in a founder's story. They want to hear, like, how do you get here to thinking that you wanted to create this? Um, and so, you know, you don't have to always be Shark Tank, and that's why you need to know the VC that you're, you're briefing to, um, because if you show up with suit and tie, you might look a little stuffy around here, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but every VC is different, so I'm going to want a suit and tie, don't come in here looking like a bum, so, <laughs> so th that's that. I would say, like, market position in all of that area, the competition and differentiation is a really huge part in in 
like getting a VC's interest? You know, I think I, me personally, I'm of the opinion that any entrepreneur who's going to start a journey should do some sort of research, just like you mentioned, because everybody has a great idea. If I, if I could, if I got a nickel for every time my dad had an idea, but I'm going to tell you something, son, what if, if I had a nickel for that? Oh my God. So everybody has a good idea. So you have to put some of that thought on the paper, do a little bit of research, who's your competition, how you can stand out. I think that's extremely important. So the one question I have for you is, I mean, a, say it was a stellar business plan. These VCs still want to see that the business was operational, right? They still want to see that it's, it's been functioning. It's as a, a track record of success and things like that, correct? Oh yeah, correct. I mean, that's that's going to be the background. But the, the first entry and the key to the door is like, were we interested in anything that you had to say? Right. Because if we were, then we were going to go into the data room where all the documents are and start researching and looking in there. It's crazy how much we've shifted from like, even I'd say the early 2000s to now and how much emphasis we put on the story, right? Like, what is the story behind the company and like, what are the values and what, you know, kind of that, uh, I guess, emotional side, more so like the number side. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. <clears throat> Much like the military has changed over the landscape and, and you see, you know, A-type A personality and it's kind of like veering towards, you know, A minus B personality type um, and, and just changing it. And I think that it, it has a lot to do with the influence of technology, right? So... Mm. So what people have found in, in, you know, online and social media is that's, that's what people respond to. They say that if, if you put a dog on the podcast or the recording, people watch it more. So that's an emotional side. It's, it's something that is, I think, a little bit more stimulated in our brains because this is where we're at. We're on a computer now. Um, back then it was more analog in person. Um, and so I just think um, it might be a little bit of, Darwinism evolution here. We our little minds are changing and how we think and how we see and how we respond to things. That's crazy because I mean you even mentioned it too. Like uh, yeah, you can't come up here in a suit and tie, right? You're in San Francisco. You can't come up here in a suit and tie, right? Like just that that change over time has been so so crazy. Because if you'd have said that maybe 20 years ago, everybody would be like, no, you definitely can't come up here in jeans and a t-shirt, right? So right. <laughs> I, I really like the point that you made about it being social media. I, I can't remember exactly who I was speaking to, but they had the same the same thought pattern. The fact that we can now sit behind a computer or behind our phones and we can find a million people who agree with our thought pattern or our whatever the case may be now gives us the validity to say, okay, no, no, no. I think we have some traction here. And so now you're seeing the change across the board. When we talk about the five levels of leadership, that positional leadership is, is mm. bleeding now, right? If you're not an actual, uh, I can't remember the levels. Don't judge me. But if, you're not, if you're not a four and level five, I mean, you're, you're, you're not getting selected for those jobs. That's right. Yeah, the inspirational leadership is the way to go now, right? So, um, yeah. So, so we've talked about. So we've talked about the um, from the the actual, I guess, accredited investor side investing. We've also talked about what it looks like if I have to have the great idea, um, and we've we've kind of touched a little bit on the valuation of the company as well. Um, what um, the the experiences that you're getting right now as um, 
working with that firm, right? What are you mainly working in of those three things? And maybe there's other components of it as well, but what are you mainly focused on? I'm just, this is just out of curiosity. Oh, well, um, most of my day is um, comprised of pitch meetings. Um, and um, I'll tell you something I learned. Um, <laughs> being in the military, our mindset is just different um, in terms of things that we kind of think are important. Like we, we know the mission is important. We kind of have this concept of where we're gonna go and things of that nature. And, um, and there's a lot of structure there. And, and in some ways there's, you know, we have ability to make decisions as well, but there's a framework, a code, if you will, regulatory reg regulations. Um, and um, so when I came to Founders Fund, what I quickly realized is that I had an old, old, dried up, old, inactive, stale network. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I was just like, oh my God, because I was, I, my LinkedIn was never filled in. Because, you know, you, in the military, you're like, you know, like if you're not on that wavelength at that point, because there was some military people that do have all full civilian looking LinkedIn, but yep. you know, a lot of us, it was all blank. You know, we, we, we knew to sign up for LinkedIn, but we ain't fill it in because we like, I already got a job. So, and we didn't, and, and although we do network, but there is a bit of a nuance from a civilian standpoint on really what a real network is. Like, yeah, I know people, but a network, a responsive network is what you need, an active and responsive network. You need to be able to call on somebody and they answer. You need to be able to send that email and they answer. Uh, I discovered <laughs> that my network wasn't that, uh, that advanced. It was stale, it was inactive. Um, and a part of it was you, you just don't value nurturing it in the military because, you know, when I talk to you, Dan, I'm gonna be like, hey, oh, you was at that assignment, you know, just getting a little G2 on, you know, what to expect from the boss or the position, but kind of like, hey, where are you going next? But anything else, you're not really putting it together on why creating this network matters. It matters in everything is what I realized. And I, I, I had to start working on it really, really difficult. Like if I was in venture capital, like I would be having no pitch meetings <laughs> because I don't have a network to support it. Like I don't, like I know people, but I don't know people in tech that are starting their own companies and things like that. So that was a difficult part for me. Um, so I sat in with principals and associates here um, on theirs um, and I tried desperately and, and intensely to, you know, source my own meetings, you know, that job was hard, um, but I did source some, I did source some but, and we passed on them, but, and I was proud of myself because it's not easy. Um, it's very difficult. So that's something I learned um, and you know, that's what I would would kind of say is that interesting part from a military perspective is like really work your network, build a network and your network needs to be responsive and active. Like you need to be able to call on people. I would love that. For anybody transitioning, listen to that because I, I was the same way. Only after I got out was I really trying to network uh, to that level and it takes to build up traction so yeah do it yeah I, I love that so and especially like that you you found out now that you're saying hey I got a I got kind of a stale network there's other people in that position right um 
what what advice would you you know what would you give them or what are the steps to make sure we continue to nurture that those relationships especially like in the military as well well um it's interesting in the military because sometimes when you leave, you'd be like, I don't want to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it networks for me, like uh, some people really just network and it's a sport. Uh, my my character, my my personality is not like that. That's exasperating. But so for me, it's definitely going to be an authentic connection. You have to be open. Um People are going to want to engage you and talk to you and, and you should be open to exploring what what they're interested in in you and what you might be interested in with them. Um, and so through my time here, people might have been referred to me and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what they want to talk to me for. Um, and I don't know what I would want to talk to them for, but you just have that conversation and you begin to know that there is something um, and there are some, some points of connection that you can add value and vice versa. Um, and so I just think also being, reaching out and not wanting nothing. We need to do more of that. Sometimes we're reaching out and there's always something that's like a, you know, old family member, like you see them, he's like, oh Lord, what it want, yeah. you know? So <laughs> You, you you make more connections with people, especially when you're dealing with like high visibility people. Like you can't just, you know, th their time is valuable and just as yours, but you know, you, you, you need to, it needs to be a reciprocal relationship. Um, and so uh, that's really key. I would say is just building those authentic reciprocal relationships and nurturing them means, you know, every so often reaching out um, even if it's for five minutes, um, uh, even if it's just for a holiday, it seems kind of lame to send a little happy 4th of July meme, but at least, you know, they like, well, Angela always send that little, little funky <laughs> meme, you know, uh, but I appreciate it. She's thinking about me. Um, it's, it's really about building relationships and people really don't understand how important that is just in life. You know, if you're, you're not building relationships, you're, you're not really, where are you going? What are you doing? You're going to look around and, and it's just you and you can't do it by yourself. Yeah, I love that. that. Huge. I, I said, I said uh, something very similar because I was in a state where I was kind of, um, you know, distressed and kind of stressed out. And I was like, man, I just wish more people would only reach out to say, how are you? Like, how are you like, what's going on? And not constantly like, Mike, I need this. Mike, can you help me with this? So I think that's uh, extremely important guys, because you don't know what people are going through in their personal lives. And if you really want to have that relationship where they value talking to you, you have to show genuine interest in them. So I'm so glad that you put that out there. Cause that is, that is invaluable information there. And you can definitely tell the difference between someone that's like that's that genuine that genuine caring, right? That's actually checking up on you, and the one that you know I'm gonna check up real quick. I'm gonna check up real quick, have a five minute conversation, and then tomorrow, tomorrow I'm gonna ask for something. You know what I mean? Because like, I got I got some of those family members too, and I'm sure some of those oh. family members too, man. Like hit you up the one day, and then it's just a prep. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so um, so yeah, so. Is, it sounds like that's one of the bigger things that you've you've taken away from uh, from this opportunity you got in training, the TWI opportunity. Um, what if if not? What is the biggest um, like I guess 
lesson that you've gotten out of it so far, the biggest um, takeaway that you're definitely going to help improve your, your military career? Interestingly enough, for me personally, um, and this might sound like just very con contrary to being an Army officer, um, but I, I learned more to ask for what I want. You know, and and I think that's a very important thing to to ask for what you want. So if you're a startup and, and you lowball yourself on what you need to fundraise, that's on you. Mm. Ask for what you want, <laughs> you know, ask for what you really need, you know, um, truly, uh, because I guess also I didn't know what to expect with venture capital. So I'm kind of thinking Wolf of Wall Street, you know, you get a, a, a sale and you're like, ow. <laughs> you know, like, and it's kind of not like that. Um, so I was really looking to expand my skill set in the area of just that high energy pumping. That's just really not my, you know, character, but I did want to, you know, kind of enhance or build that skill set of just really like getting out there, asking for what you want and not feeling like you're asking for too much. Um, and again, I know that just doesn't sound super officery, but uh, that is an area for me. Um, I think for people, you know, you need to know yourself. What, what are you, who are you in the military, outside of the military, just who you are, because when you know who you are, people can't tell you who, who you are, whether it's good or bad, because people will pump your head up and it is not like that. People will put you down and they may not know, you know, your full story and know where you're leading to. So you just really have to know who you are. Conduct a little internal squad analysis so you know what you need to work on and what you can build upon um, and be very intentional about what you're doing. Um, and so I, I think for me, and then exposure. I'm a big proponent of exposure. Again, that's why I chose this. I wanted to be exposed to something different. Don't be afraid to put yourself in the deep end um, on anything that you're doing professionally or personally. Um, and, you know, you, you sometimes, and it is a conversation sometime about diversity and representation, like you gotta show up, you gotta show up, you know, in, in anywhere you wanna be, you know, don't be afraid to show up in venture capital and say, hey, this is what we're doing. Uh, or wherever, law firm, Harvard. So that's what I, I would say. I, I really, really appreciate you kind of touching on that, like just, you know, representation, because uh, I think that that's kind of an underlooked thing, right? Um, uh, representation really, really matters, because I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but the first thing I looked when I looked at this company, when I looked at the board of directors, like I looked for anyone that looked somewhat similar to me, right? And a lot of times it's, it's you don't see that representation there. So if you, if you get into a company that way, um, what that means to me is that, you know, people within that company, they might not have, this, not have the same thought process as you. And if by you being amongst those people or those decision makers, then they get to kind of see where your mind is at, right? And, and you are basically that representation for others that look like you, right? So I, I don't know. I, I just think that there's something to be said about uh, representation and why that matters. And I know the military is doing a, a pretty good job about that. Uh, but sometimes I don't see that always in, in, in large companies. Uh, but I, I appreciate you acknowledging that and like being cognizant of that. Because if you guys don't know, if you're listening to this and you don't know, that that does matter to people that probably might not look like you, right? So Right. And, and just in general, 
<clears throat> don't be afraid to show up. You know, I, I didn't know if, you know, I would have been selected for Founders Fund. And, um, but I, I said, let me, uh, boom, yes, I want it. I want that opportunity. Um, so, so go for it. That, that's just really the, the bottom line. Go for it. Go into those areas. I was a science and technology officer and I'm a business management major. I don't have no hard science degree. And I went out there and I just went for it and it paid off. It paid off so big. It was huge. Um, and so I, I just think that, you know, going to those places and, and don't, don't say, well, I'm not going to go there because no one looks like me. Well, that, that's why no one there looks like you. you. You have to step to the plate. And, you know, the reason why that I'm on this podcast and continue to do what I do as a leader in the future is to share that there are opportunities and options. Don't be afraid to be the first one or the only one or whatever. It don't matter. I love that because it goes back to what you said. If you know who you are, can nobody else tell you something different? If you know who you are, go in there, sell yourself. This is my time to shine. Show up. And guess what? If you fail, oh, well, try again. You know, try right. somewhere else. So and, and if you're not selected, at least you still tried. You came to the table. And that was my thing. And that's going to always be my thing. I'm not going to just randomly do things. But if I want to do something, I'm not going to disqualify myself and say that I'm not qualified because I'm just as qualified as anyone else. Exactly. That mindset. The mindset. I love it. Absolutely love it. So uh, you shared with us some some. Excellent, excellent information, right? So to kind of wrap it up here, what is one thing that you would like to share with any service member out there, uh, just in general about the VC space or or even training with industry? Or what are a few, comp, or a few uh, I guess, things that you'd like to share with them? Um, you know, I, I would just say that um, being in the VC field, there's a lot of research part of it, networking, um, being able to see what's not there. I mean, people can show you here, but being able to see what's not here is, is really key. Um, belief in a little bit of secrets, you know, like everything is not known. You know, sometimes we approach things in life that like there's nothing new under the sun. And, you know, in theory, that's true. But, you know, you will be able to spot new tech technology if you really think that there is there is something that isn't known, and this could be it. Um, be a little bit of a contrarian, not just for contrarian's sake, but that just more like a critical out-of-the-box thinker. Um, being able to, to work decentralized, you know, um, and again, building your network. Um, so I think those are some of the key things. Um, I, I am, you know, I don't do enough of reading, but, you know, if you come into the venture capital space, you know, some of your foundational books are um, from zero to one, of course, venture deals. And, and, and but I, I also believe in the holistic person. Um, so I love the four agreements. My favorite agreement is don't take it personal. Like when you don't take things personal, you go so much further. You don't live with a lot of stress um, and frustration. Um, so um I want to start reading um, Henry Kissinger's Leaderships, the Six Studies in World Strategy, uh, because he's been around forever and, and through like our countries, like, like some major parts of our country. So uh, this is a man of his time and he saw the world how he saw it, good, bad or indifferent, but he experienced a lot. And I think there's a lot to be gained from that. Um, 
I want to read his name is uh, George Floyd because you know I, I put that out there because it, it shows that this book is about his life living not if the final moments, but you might say, what did this have to do with VC? Well, if you read the book, you might find some areas of compassion and understanding, like we're all people. And that matters because it matters because as you, you look to source deals, you know, now you can see people as people, you know, maybe not as you've ever seen them before. Um, so just having a diverse reading, um, diverse or however you want to call it, um, just holistic approach to what you're feeding yourself based on the space that you're in, what you need to be the best you. I love that. So I, I love books. I, you can't see all my collections here, but I, I, I'm an avid reader. I like to think I'm uh, avid listener nowadays because I got Audible. I'm not going to lie. But uh, how, you know, some of these books I haven't, uh, I haven't read. Some of them I haven't even heard of. So I'm definitely going to check these out. Uh, lead, lead from the outside, Stacey Abrams. I love that one too. And we're gonna we're gonna put these uh these books in the show notes, guys. So um you guys have you said lead from the outside. See, I can't even type now. Okay, lead from the outside. <laughs> from Do you want me to? I had some um I had some very uh what I consider like I guess links like on VC stuff, like where you can learn a little bit more about VC business things. Cause my thing is about the exposure to the resource. You got to know what's out there to, to be able to tap in. Um, so I will definitely share that with you all to, to share. Absolutely. Uh, we'll have that a lot, in the of, show notes as well. lot of programs, tons of resources out there. So you've been dropping knowledge all episode, uh, sharing a lot of insight on not only the VC side, but how your mentality is and some ways that we can kind of just improve ourselves as humans, understand that compassion side and everything else. So now you probably got people worked up. They want to know how they can get in touch with you. So what's the best way if people do want to reach out to you and network, what's the best way to network with you? Okay, well, you can reach me at my LinkedIn, which is uh, linkedin.com uh, forward slash I-N forward slash Angela Smoot, A-N-G-E-L-A-S-M-O-O-T. Um, right now, my global, I have not uh, did the migration, so that's still messed up because that's what happens when you're kind of not on a military base. So, um, but so LinkedIn will be a perfect place. I monitor it frequently and we can definitely link up and chat and I'll be happy to facilitate anything that I can. Awesome. Excellent. So uh, thank you again so much for coming on and sharing uh, so much information with you. Really, really appreciate this, this is going to provide uh, our listeners with a lot of value. So uh, again, I really, really appreciate that. Um, with that, uh, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glasby. Signing off. Thank you.